I think we're ready to get into the Word today. Is anyone else ready to get into the Word today? All right. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read that for us. The words are going to be on the screen. And let's really, let's really uh, position our hearts to engage with the Word today. Let's see what, what God's going to say to us through His Word. You know, these words are life, and, and um, it's all useful for, for teaching and uh, for growth. So let's, let's see what He has for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 8. I'll read and the words are on the screen. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's jump ahead to verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. Let's pray and prepare our hearts. Father God, we, we come to you today, Lord, only for you and uh, to hear what you have to say. Lord, would you speak to us? God, in this world where standards have been mixed, in this world where purity is scoffed at, Lord, we want what you have to say about, about these areas of relationships and marriage. God, we want to open up our entire hearts to you, not just a portion. Lord, would we be, would we be like David and say, search us, O God. Search our hearts. Point out any way of iniquity and lead us into your way everlasting. We love you, Lord, and we want what you have for us. As the good, good Father, you are. Your ways are for us. You're not here to stifle our fun, but God, you're here for, you have our best intentions in mind. So speak to us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So good to be with you guys here in 2017. I just sense it's going to be an awesome year uh, in this city and in our church. I'm looking forward to everything that God's going to do in our lives and uh, we're going to unpack those verses that were read for us here just a few moments ago and really get into the scriptures today. But I am really, really pumped uh, about this series. I'm also pumped about the young adults in our church and the youth. We have got awesome young men and women here in this place. Wouldn't you agree with me? Yeah. yeah. That was my son, Ryan. You heard that, right? Okay. Way to go, Ryan. He goes back to Bible College tomorrow, north of Boston at North Point College. We're going to miss him. But like many others his age here, they have a calling into the kingdom of God. And we just want to bless them and encourage them and empower them uh, as they follow Jesus in this world. And uh, just as we get going today, a couple things I want to mention to you. Uh, just getting back from a restful Christmas break. But I did come here last Sunday and sat at the back kind of incognito. And what a message that Randy Carter brought here. I mean, he hit a home run. Amen? That's a home run. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at it online. And so moved by the 96 people who came up and put prayer cards on the platform saying, we're going to pray for the youth of our church. 
That's a good thing, right? Are you guys okay? Are you alive today? I know it's January 15th, but this is exciting stuff, and we are pumped about that. Prayer is happening. Uh, God is working in our youth and young adults in amazing, amazing ways. So one other thing I want to share with you as we get into the topic uh, this morning. Our church is working on something, and it has to do with why we are here as a people, why we exist. And we've been seeking God uh, and hearing from God about our vision uh, for the future. We've been praying and listening and just getting our hearts ready for that. We're expecting a fresh download. And this is all to do with articulating who we are as a church. And uh, we asked for your input on this at the AGM, our annual general meeting. Uh, So thank you for that. That was awesome. We've reviewed that. And also input was given at our last leadership advance weekend with our elders and pastors and spouses. That is also greatly appreciated. So now we're moving towards an articulation of this vision. We're trying to answer the question, why do we exist as a church? And we have had a purpose statement for a long time. And uh, now we're uh, sensing God wants us to express the character and the future and the vision of our church in answering the words, why do we exist as a congregation? So that's in drafting stages. You're going to see more work being done. You're going to hear about it. Just want to let you know about it. We want to get this razor sharp in the next two weeks or so. So please be praying about this as our elders and pastors take it to the next level. All right. In your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're located. And uh, I want you to turn there and have your Bible open as we go through different portions of that passage. And uh, this series that we're in has seven messages. And we've let you know about the titles and the, and the topics associated with that. I hope you take a look at your card in your folder. But we're looking at what God has to say about sex, about relationships, uh, about marriage, about singleness, about dating, and all of that. And we're going to be a little bit more on the raw and candid and transparent side in this series. Uh, and we need to so that we can lay hold of as much freedom and wholeness and healing as is possible for us as the people of God. And uh, I love the verse there in verse 9. It says, For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That's kind of the main thing we're going to look at today. We're going to really unpack what that means to us. How many of you know, by looking at that verse, that this is talking to us about sexuality? Did you, did you figure that out, right? When he's saying, It is better to marry than to burn with passion, he's talking about that sexual passion inside of every human heart that wants to be released in some way. And so he spends some time in this chapter here, the Apostle Paul, unpacking for us how we can release that passion in appropriate ways. And I just really hope you're okay talking about sex in church. And I actually don't care if you aren't okay. (laughs) Because it's in the Bible, right? It's all over here. And every two years, we make sure that we are teaching on this topic. Because the Word of God covers this from so many angles and so many great situations, helping us to be strong and vital in this area. And uh, we're going to find out what it means to have this passion inside of us and how we can more appropriately express it or appropriately express it. Because it's true that the way God made, made us includes this. He has designed us as sexual beings. And uh, some of our messages are going to hit on that topic very exclusively. Some will be more on on general things related to marriage and family, but we're going to cover all of that. Okay, so the question that we want to try to answer from the Bible today is this, what am I going to do with the fire that is inside of me? Because there is that passion inside of me. 
There is that fire deep down inside of my soul. What am I going to do about the fire that is inside of me? And the good thing about all this is when we have questions like that, we need to bring them to God. God has quite an opinion about our sexuality. Have you noticed as you've read his word? And I want to start with this thought, that God knows what we need to know about sex. And we do need to know things. And where do you go in our culture with your sexual questions? Who's going to advise you the best on what you need to know about your sexual identity or your sexual preferences or your sexual choices or how you're going to get your needs met? Where do you go with those kinds of questions? Let me give you a hint. You're not going to get a whole lot of wisdom by watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I mean, that's entertaining stuff. It's kind of, you know, interesting and you know, the whole thing is whether, you know, the guy's going to pick this girl or that girl and whether she's going to be the lucky one, right, to get the guy with the six-pack abs and the seven-figure salary and all that. Um, yeah, there's some interesting things to, to notice on those shows, but you're not going to get a whole lot of wisdom on sexuality by watching those shows because after the ring comes a marriage. Have you noticed that? You get the ring on her finger, guys, and you think you're done, you're set for life, you're just beginning the course. There's a whole lot ahead of you, a lot of great experiences, a lot of mountaintops to climb together, a lot of valleys to kind of make it through together. The whole experience is a marriage. And so ultimately, this is a kingdom of God matter. Ultimately, this is all about what God thinks about our lives and our sexuality, there are times that we need to ask God by asking his people what we need to know about this. And this is exactly what happened in the Corinthian church. Just look at verse 1. Paul says, now for the matters you wrote about, and then he gives a whole chapter answering their questions on sexuality. So no doubt they'd sent him a scroll saying, hey, next time you're through the city of Corinth, we would like to know some things about having sex with people, uh, what's forbidden, what's okay, when should you get married, what happens if you don't want to get married, is it okay to be single, and all that. Paul answers all their questions in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. It's all part of what they were going through as a church to try to figure out um, how they could walk in this important area of life. And they needed to know what God thought about it, so they sent Paul the letter. And I think it just goes without saying here that we need to understand that when we're talking about our sexuality, we need to realize it's a gift from God. We are designed as sexual beings. Male and female both reflect the image of God. So let's just say here at the very beginning of this series that God made sex as a good thing. Can you say that in your heart with me? God made sex as a good thing. Sex is good. If you have an okay time with that, that's fine. If you're kind of squirming with that, why is that? Why would we hesitate to say that sex is a good thing? It might be because the church throughout the ages has not done a very good job teaching on sexuality, even though it's in the Bible. They just avoided it for like 1,800 years or 1,900 years. We've got a lot of catch-up to do. Uh, the church has done a very poor job uh, teaching on this, as one current preacher says, puts it jokingly this way, sex is dirty, sex is gross, sex is disgusting, save it for your husband. <laughs> it's a joke. You know, it's that taboo subject. And so the schools try to do what they can, they help us out, 
And they provide some teaching on sexuality. That gets broader and broader and broader and way more off course from what the Scriptures call us to. We have to use discernment there. Uh, But sometimes the church has spoken on this subject, and they've come at it with the motive of judgment and condemnation. Right? And there have been people who have been hurt by teaching uh, on this subject. Uh, Or maybe if you can't say those words that sex is a good thing, Maybe you, the reason you can't say it is because of some wounding in your life. Uh, maybe in your past you've been sexually assaulted or sexually abused by some person or family member. Uh, or maybe you have just made some choices that you now regret that involve the use of your body in certain ways and there's a wounding there. I want to tell you, friends, something here. There is healing for sexual wounding. It's in Jesus. Just like he heals all those other areas of our life, there is healing for sexual brokenness in Jesus. And some of us maybe need to go there in this series, and we need to take that ground. And you can. And we want you to. And it's beautiful, and it's good. And there's a ton of wisdom in the Scriptures on this subject. I mean, it's not just what we're covering here in this series, but you, on your own, you could take a look at books in the Bible like Proverbs, Song of Songs, which is sometimes called the Song of Solomon, And uh, when you've read the Song of Songs, make sure you look up what it means when it's talking about pomegranates. Okay? Do you know what pomegranates are for? I'm not going to tell you. Look it up. When he says, I'm going to climb the coconut tree and get some fruit, he's not talking about coconuts. Okay? So this is in your Bible. You have access to the Internet, don't you? Do some Bible research on the Song of Songs and see what God has to say about pure sexual intimacy. It's an awesome book. And all the men in the church just said, Oh, come on! All the men in the church just said, Amen. We're in on that subject. We like it. So to get there, to get to this place of of walking in sexual purity and, and handling that fire inside of us, we first of all need to wake up to the crisis. Because we're living in times of great crisis when it comes to our sexuality. Similar, to some degree, to the situation in our text. Chapter 7, verse 26. Paul says, because of the present crisis. And he starts unpacking for them what's going on in the church. That people were starting to have sex before marriage. And they were not waiting. And they didn't know if they were supposed to and all that. And it's, we're living in similar times in some ways. Not quite the same. In fact, we're, I think we're living in better times than the people living in Corinth. Uh, if back then, if you lived in that city, uh, it was known for its sexual promiscuity. And uh, at one time, they had this temple there to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And the historians tell us that there were about 10,000 prostitutes devoted to Aphrodite worship. And the idea was, if you, if you wanted to have a, a good day, you went down to the Aphrodite temple, paid some money, you could choose your prostitute, male or female, or both, and then you can go up into the altar room, and you could have sex on the altar to Aphrodite with your prostitutes. This is the setting of Corinth. And no doubt there was a demonic stronghold over that city, because when you involve idolatry and sexuality, you have a great pollution, a spiritual and moral pollution that just washes over the whole community. The Corinthian people were coming out of that background into the church. And so, you know, back then the saying was, uh, if you acted like a Corinthian, you were someone who was into sex. You were just acting like a Corinthian, because so many people 
were sexually promiscuous. Uh, promiscuous. And uh, people were coming to faith there. They were being washed by Jesus' blood. Uh, they were being cleansed. They were being renewed. They were being restored to God. And they were bringing some of their lifestyle into the church. How many of you know this, that when you become a follower of Jesus, you are immediately washed of all your sins? They're all gone. All the guilt and shame is gone. But how many of you also know that sometimes you bring some of your habits and your previous lifestyle with you into the church? That's what was going on there. And so they had to deal with this. There were people that were once temple prostitutes. Now they're having communion with the rest of the body of Christ. In chapter 6, take a look at verse 9. Paul says, Don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Wow. Paul is saying, in our church here in Corinth, we have some ex-homosexual people, and we have some ex-adulterers, and swindlers, and, and all these kinds of people. He's saying that is some of you. But, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And I just want to say again to you, friends, that you can be washed of sexual sin. It can be washed right off you. You can be healed from sexual brokenness. You can have wounds that have been there maybe for a long time. You can have them touched by God and be set free. And I believe that Jesus wants in this series to set some captives free and some prisoners free. And we just love what he's going to do. It's going to be awesome. So Paul addresses this crisis that's happening in Corinth with the letter. And he starts to unpack for them this whole view of marriage and intimacy. And I just remind you that we're living in a culture of crisis when it comes to sexuality. It really started in the late 60s during the summer of love. It has flowered through the decades to the point now where there is boundaryless sexuality being um, affirmed in our culture. You can have sex with almost anyone, anytime, do whatever you want. That's where the culture is going more and more. But that's not God's plan for us. God's view of, of an expression of pure intimacy is one man and one woman in a sacred bond called marriage, in a covenant that he blesses, so that that union is so powerful, it says that the two shall become one flesh. And so it's not one man and two women, it's not two men, it's not two women, it's one guy and one girl in a covenant, in a marriage relationship. That's the place where that fire is released, that passion gets a chance to be expressed. And his design is a good design. Uh, it's full of blessing for us, and it's full of, of fulfillment when we go at this God's way. It's built into creation. So back to our passage here, verse 9, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. We want to look at this a little bit more in depth and particularly understand what to do with the fire that is inside of us. Let's ask that question again. What am I going to do with the fire that is inside of me? Because it's up to me to take care of my own fires. I can't ask you to do that. You can't ask your friends to do that. You can't ask your spouse to do that. You've got to take care of your own fire. And the word fire is the word chosen here, and it's from the Greek word purao. We get the word pyro from that. Making sense? Like pyrotechnics, right? Explosions. Explosions and uh, fireworks, 
Uh, it means to burn, to set on fire, uh, to release passion. And fire in the Bible is almost always a good thing. Almost always. Uh, it often expresses the character of God, that our God is like a living fire, right? And he purifies us, and he's holy, uh, and he's strong. And the point is that fire is powerful and good and pure, but it's not to be trifled with. It's not something you can just carelessly use in your life. Fire has potency. Fire has the ability to, to bring great warmth and release energy, or it can actually harm and destroy things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, at verse 29, Paul uses the word a second time here. It's the only other time he uses it uh, in the New Testament. He says, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? There it is. He's saying, I've got this passion inside of me for the church. I've got this passion inside of me for the kingdom of God. And when people aren't walking with God and they don't know his freedom and his truth, I start to inwardly have that burning feeling inside of my heart. It's a beautiful passion that God puts inside of us. And Paul's saying, I think here, that's how I express my passion. This guy was single, right? Paul never got married as far as we know, that he was either never married or, or he was married and maybe his wife died. I don't know. But, but Paul the apostle was not someone who was married. And so what does he do? He takes his fire, he takes his passion, and he channels it to the people of God. You can do that. In a healthy way, he releases this inward passion that he has. So what am I going to do with the fire that's inside of me? I'm going to give you a few suggestions here for the remainder of our time. First of all, save it for the right time. Save your passion, if you're single, and at times when you're married, for the right time. Now, that's not always easy. When Marianne and I started dating way back in the 80s, a century ago, you know, after about two months of dating or three months, we started realizing we're probably going to get married. We really like each other. And we had a fire going on. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Do you guys ever remember being 20 years old? Do you remember the fire decade? Right? You're just full of fire, right? There's, there's a passion inside of you. And, and we had this potent attraction for each other. So we did what most people should do back then. We dated for two years. Passion keeps growing, right? And uh, we knew we were going to get married. We had talked about that. And so I started saving money for an engagement ring. And I went down to the mall. And uh, I had money taken out of my check. I was working uh, in Calgary. And uh, I saved up $1,200 in seven months in the 80s. Pretty good for a 20-something-year-old. 20 went to the store, ordered the ring. Took four months for the ring to come in. I don't know why. <laughs> Driving me nuts. And finally, I get the ring. And I'm going to propose to her, Right? We've already been dating for two years. And uh, I, I meet her parents first in a secret place. I asked their permission and blessing. They gave it to me and prayed for me. And, and then I met with her that night. And she didn't know it was up. And, you know, I've got this ring in my pocket, right? And it's like burning a hole in my pocket. And it's in that little velvet box, you know? Right? The box is worth more than the ring sometimes. 
I got it here, and I'm kind of holding it, you know, and I go to her house, and I'm talking to her, and I got to get her alone somewhere. I finally say, can we just go in that room over there? I just got to talk to you for a bit, and she says, sure, and I'm like, I got to be able to get it out. I was wearing really tight pants back then, and I got, I got to be able to get it out fast, so I thought I'll just bring it out, and I'll hold it in my hand. So I held it in my hand, and I'm talking to her, and we're sitting down. I thought, this is, like, I don't know how to do this. No one coached me on this. So I just got on my knee, and I popped open the ring, and I said, will you marry me? Guess what she said? Well, we got married. So <laughs> she said yes. And oh, what a night that was. We're engaged. She's got the ring on her finger. We went out for cheesecake. You know, we didn't have cell phones back then. We're, we're, we're phoning people, you know, and telling them and, and letting our friends know and all that. It was so awesome. And then we had another eight months to go till our wedding day. So we're already dating two years, and there's eight more months to go. And we have to save our passion for eight more months. That's not easy. But by the grace of God, we did. And I don't necessarily recommend long engagements. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a, there's a bit of wisdom that's needed there. But for our, our situation, she was graduating from university and, and so on. We, we needed to do it that way. And uh, God honored us and God blessed us. And our wedding day was awesome. So you got to save your passion for the right time. Don't go spending it at the wrong time when you, when, you, when you will regret that you've released it. Hold on to it and ask God for help with that. Let me just say this, that sex outside of marriage is always wrong. Even if you're engaged, it's not okay. It's not cool. It's not right to cross that line into intimacy. That's for your wedding. That's for your marriage relationship for the rest of your life. Save yourself for that and put some boundaries around you and, and wisdom and have some accountability partners in your life to make sure that that goes okay. So what am I going to do with the fire inside of me? Well, I'm going to save it for the right time and then I'm going to access strength for purity. Purity is important. And purity is really the goal for all of us whether we're single or married. Purity is the target. And what I'm learning again about purity at, at all over again, it seems, is that we so need the help of the Holy Spirit with purity. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can walk in sexual purity. And I would even say this, if you're not being filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, you are going to struggle with temptation like never before. You are not going to find that you have the strength to resist it. And so it's very important that we access God's strength for our purity. And God wants to give us a lot of strength. In Galatians chapter 5, at verse 16, he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We need the filling of the Spirit, amen, to be pure people. <laughs> and God so wants to fill us. Every single day we can come to him and say, Father, I'm just, I'm just ready, I'm surrendered, uh, I, I'm, I'm obe obeying you, I'm walking in all the light that I can. Would you give me the filling of the Spirit for today? And I encourage that for all of us in any age and any status, whether we're single or married. We've got to walk in purity. And... Uh, I had this old car back in the, in the 80s. It was a 74 Monte Carlo. 
and I, I couldn't start it very well, so the carburetor had problems. So you know what I should do? I used to put gasoline in the carburetor. I had a little bottle, and every now and then I would just pop off the air breather, and I would pour some gas into the carburetor and froom, fire it up. Literally, fire it up, right? And on this one October day, uh, I couldn't get it going, and I poured too much gas in the carburetor. Some of you know what's going to happen here. Don't do this at home, okay? So too much gas in the carburetor. Foomp. And the gas had spilled on the engine. Now the engine's on fire. This is outside of my apartment block in Calgary. And I'm going, this is a problem, right? There's a big amount of flames coming up from the engine area of my car. One person walking a dog by looked at that and said, oh, my goodness, and kept walking. <laughs> they didn't help me at all. So my roommate and I, we ran to the flower bed by the apartment block. We scooped up mud with our fingers, and we ran to the car and threw mud all over the engine. Why? To get the fire down. And I learned an important lesson back then. Be careful when you stoke your fires. Be careful when you put fuel on your passion. Because those flames can get very big, and they can get out of control if there's no wisdom used. By the way, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Did you know that? Did you know that you never have to sin? Never. You never have to sin. I, I know we will all struggle, and we'll, sometimes we will, we will fall, but we never have to. We have self-control through the Holy Spirit. We can say no. We can say wait. We can say not now. We can say later. And here's the reality check, though. Sometimes we're not listening to the right voice. Sometimes the enemy comes into our lives with his evil plan and he kind of says stuff like this. You can't stop yourself from doing this. You know that. So just do it and get it over with. That's one of his lies. Or you're not going to be able to stay pure and God is a God of grace anyways. You're going to be forgiven as soon as you ask for forgiveness. So just do it. Or this one. Everybody struggles with this stuff. You're all in the same boat. No one's walking in freedom in this area. That's a lie. I know people walking in purity in the area of sexuality. I know them. And by God's grace, I'm looking to him every day of my life to walk that same way. It's all about who we're listening to, friends. It's all about the voices that come around our, 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 our hearts and our minds saying, that's okay. You can have that. You can look at that. You can just do that once and no one will know. Even believers can struggle with demonic strongholds. They can get them in their emotions. They can get them in their thought life where Satan has a place to live, a, a, a topos, a, an area, it's called in the Bible, a, a, topo, a, a geographical area, a location inside of our soul where he has influence. And we have to get him out of there. We don't want the enemy living in our life in any way, Right? We've got to renounce him. We've got to get him out. We've got to replace that area with the Spirit of God and his presence. And then the freedom comes. So what am I going to do with the fire inside of me? I'm going to save it for the right time. I'm going to access strength for purity. And then I'm going to become the right person. And I really like what Andy Stanley does in his book uh, that Ryan promoted here. Um, that book is, is worth getting. And the other one is too. Mark Driscoll's book is fantastic. Um, and Andy Stanley talks about the myth of the right person. And it's based on the idea that, uh, that people think there's only one person for me out there in the whole world. Just one person. 
And if I don't find that person, that exact perfect person, then I'm going to have a miserable life. Well, there's some truth to that, and I would actually even disagree a little bit with Andy Stanley on this and say, I do believe God arranges marriages. And I do believe that God picks spouses for us, or he would like to be involved in it. Why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't God want to help you pick a spouse if you need one? Of course he will. He he knows people on the planet, you see. He can match you up. But aside from that, it's also true that people can marry whoever they want. They can't get married to someone and then 15 years later say, God, you deceived me. You got me the wrong person. God's saying, you chose her or you chose him. He lets you make those decisions. So Andy Stanley unpacks this great, and uh, I love what he says there, and the idea that you're going to keep searching and searching and searching you know, until you find the exact person who's fully compatible with you, and you're looking for this, this one person, right? There's even movies like that, the one, right? You've got to find the one. Now, compatibility is a good thing. And some people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not sexually compatible with, with him or her. Well, that's kind of a strange statement because there's about 8 billion people on the planet. Half are men and half are women. So you're like sexually compatible with 4 billion people. So I don't think it's like there's no one that you could be compatible with sexually. Okay? But there are other things that you want to look at compatibility on. Like, Are you spiritually compatible? Are you both believers? That's a deal breaker for us, right? That's a deal breaker. We don't encourage marriage where one is a believer and one's not a believer. We say no to that. We don't want to do those weddings. We don't want to mess people's lives up. Because guess what? As pastors, we pick up the pieces later. And it goes against God's teaching. Are you values compatible? Do you share the same convictions on things? Is your lifestyle compatible? Um, Do you see yourself enjoying life together? Are you spiritually passionate about the same things? Are you on the same page when it comes to having children, uh, being part of a church, uh, being a follower of Jesus, being in community and things like that? Those are all good compatibility things to work through. And we do need to work through them. But also realize that the reason there's a myth behind the, the right person idea is this. The Bible shows us that it's not so much about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. It's about you changing. So it's not like you've got to find the perfect person and then once you find them, everything's okay. No, for the rest of your lives, you need to become the right person. You need to become that spouse that you're supposed to be. And dating, by the way, is kind of a relatively new thing, <laughs> right? Probably since about the 1800s, late 1700s or so, it started appearing. But before then, for thousands of years, parents arranged your marriage. And it worked. So here we are, you know, elevating romantic love as if it's the zenith of everything in terms of determining your spouse. Well, let's lay hold of romantic love. It's good. But let's also realize we need to become the right people. And whoever we choose, we choose. And then we enter into a lifelong relationship together to keep making it better. Remember this as well. Singleness is okay. Paul talks about this. Chapter 7 At verse 7, he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And further on, he talks about how you don't have to get married. And really what he's saying there is, you don't have to get married to live a complete life. You can be single 
and be happy. You can be celibate your whole life and enjoy life to the full. Paul is an example on that. And then Jesus was too. You remember that, don't you? When Jesus was on earth, was he married? No, he wasn't. Did he live a very fulfilled life? Yes. Now Jesus is getting married. The Bible tells us he's engaged. He's got this chick that he's waiting for. His Father and the Holy Spirit are getting her ready. Guess who she is? It's us. We're the bride. With all other believers in this world, those who are present and those who have gone to heaven, we're the bride. We're being purified. We're being made ready for that day when Jesus comes back and the bride rises to him. It's going to be an awesome, awesome reunion, and it's going to be a great celebration. And marriage on earth is to be a model of that ultimate relationship between Jesus and his people. It's a powerful thing. And when people see us and they look at our marriages, they should say, wow, there must be someone other than yourselves that's doing this uh, in your life. You must know God. Being married has great advantages. Your passion and your fire can be released, and it should be a pretty healthy burn. Should be a normal burn going on in your marriage life uh, to satisfy both spouses. We'll talk about that in the series here. But marriage also has its limitations. As it says in chapter 7 here, those that are married as if they weren't married. <laughs> the idea is that we don't put all of our identity into the marriage basket. We don't find all of our ultimate meaning for life in our marriage relationship. It provides a lot, but it's not meant to bear the weight of everything. Here's the point. You get your ultimate sense of identity from where? From God. Through Jesus Christ, as the Spirit works that out in your life. And then you have another you know, level of that that you enjoy through your, your marriage relationship. You get identity there as well. But your ultimate sense of identity comes from God. We're all sons and daughters of the great king. So what am I going to do with the fire inside of me? Finally, we're going to burn it in a safe location. How many of you know that fire lit up anywhere can cause some harm and some damage? I've experienced that in my life. Uh, I grew up in a home where my dad, every spring, he would burn the old grass. And we had a large yard, and we had, we had ditches that had grass this high. You know, it was kind of like, you know, four feet tall grass, bulrushes and stuff like that. And every spring, you know, uh, once the snow had melted, my dad would burn the old grass up. And then he would leave it, and then the new grass would come up. So as a young guy, I thought, that's a very cool job. And me and my friend went out there one day. We were about 12 years old, and we thought we would burn the grass. So it was dry, you know, spring had come, and we got a book of matches. We were playing with matches, and I said, watch this. And I, I lit the dead grass in the ditch. Guess what happened? Foom, right? And it starts spreading, and it goes into the culvert, and it goes up to the neighbor's fence. And we're going, this is not a good thing. And it's windy, right? It's windy. So we run and get the garden hose, and we put it out right away. And, you know, it wasn't really that scary of an experience but man, is fire ever potent. Fire tends to eat things up. And, uh, you know, some of you are perhaps wondering about the fire in your life. And you're thinking, how do I keep that fire under control? You've got to pick the locations where you're going to light the fire. You've got to have boundaries. You've got to have wisdom. You've got to have some knowledge about what you do at certain times and what you don't do at other times. Some of us might be releasing fire 
and it's outside the place where God wants it to be released. It's when you text someone or you use words in a certain way with a certain tone at the office and you're creating this sort of flirty kind of innuendo going on maybe. Uh, Or maybe it's just in the back of our sophisticated minds. Maybe we just have fantasies that we feed with certain images. Fire that is released in those ways is dangerous. It's going to burn us. It is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so friends, as we go into this series together, I believe God is going to take us into greater freedom and greater wholeness and even healing for some of us. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here. And I'm just going to ask you as we step into this series to be courageous. We're not here to to make anybody feel ashamed. We're not here to make people feel condemned. That is not our goal at all. We want to lead everyone here, including ourselves, into full freedom and wholeness in our relationship with God. And that requires the help of His Holy Spirit in us. As a church that is stepping into renewal, and we do want to step into renewal more and more, stepping into that place where God will use us in a powerful way, in revival and in awakening here in our city and beyond, we need to be a people of purity. And so in this series, we're saying, God, just get us pure. Take us to that place of ultimate, ultimate purity in you. Let's stand together.